What is up, everybody? It is Craig Lindell. This is the Waiting for Next Year.com podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. I am not back giving you sports takes, but I wanted to let you know that Andrew and I have a brand new podcast. It's about 90s music. It's about more than 90s music, but it starts from the perspective of people who became of age in the 90s. So if you listen to grunge music, if you listen to any of that music in the late 90s into the early 2000s, this is the podcast for you. I wanted to play an episode here on the Waiting for Next Year feed just in case you might have missed me. I know it's been a while since I've been around. Uh, we're having the best time. I, I'm so I'm enjoying it so much, and I hope that you'll jump on board. It's called the Album of Record Podcast, albumofrecord.com, albumofrecord.com. Album of Record is available on Spotify, on Apple Music, um, all the different places you get your podcasts. So please subscribe, share it with a friend. It's also on YouTube. Um, there's not much action there going on, but Andrew and I are doing the talking head thing on YouTube as well. So search the Album of Record wherever you find podcasts. Here is the episode we did on our favorite bands of all time. Enjoy. Welcome to another edition of the Album of Record podcast. I'm your host, Craig Lindell. With me, as always, Andrew Schnitke. How's it going, Andrew? Uh, this Ohio weather is killing me, man. Absolutely killing me. Windstorms uh, and snow and yeah. Like shorts and a t-shirt two days ago. Freezing cold now. It just messes with my sinuses. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know people aren't tuning in to listen to us talk about the weather, but no. uh, yeah, I'm a little raspy today, but we'll get through it. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for today's episode. We've got kind of a gimmick that that we've been talking about doing and we're going to do it today. So, here's the idea. Your entire lifetime you had favorite bands. And so imagine that you're a wrestling fan and at any one point in time somebody held the belt. Like Hulk Hogan or The Rock or Stone Cold might be your favorite wrestler of all time. But at different points of time, somebody wins the Royal Rumble and they they hold the belt for a while, even if just for a moment. So we're taking that concept to bands and Andrew and I are going to go through our top five bands, not including Pearl Jam, that have ever held the belt, have ever been our favorite band at any one point in time. Andrew. I, I admit I am not the world's biggest wrestling fan. I watched for a while when I was in high school. So I don't know, like, in my mind. Hulk Hogan is like the guy from wrestling still, but is there somebody who is like the undisputed, like who's held the belt the longest? Do you have any idea? I don't have any idea, but in terms of like fame, you've got Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Macho Man, The Rock, Stone Cold, John Cena. And then after that, I really have no idea. But like no, any, anybody, anybody who ever was in a major motion picture who was also in wrestling, they, I think they count as being one of the most famous of all time. Yeah. So I think, like, for me, like, I'll just stick with uh, Hulk Hogan as the one that, when I was growing up, was the guy. So, like, that's Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam is my Hulk Hogan. Like, they they might temporarily, somebody else might get that belt, but they tend to get it back. Um, in all seriousness, like, yes, if somebody asks me today, who's your favorite band, without hesitation, the answer is Pearl Jam. At this point, after having been a fan for 
30 plus years now, uh, that's probably never going to change that answer. But there certainly are bands that in different eras and moments that I have listened to more than Pearl Jam and felt more excited to listen to other bands' music than Pearl Jam at various points. So um, I think we'll uh, kind of talk about some of those bands. I, uh, I'm i not sure if on your list you ended up going with pre-Pearl Jam bands, uh, so I'll, I'll let you talk about that when you get to it. Mine are all bands who took the belt from Pearl Jam. So I certainly had my Guns N' Roses, Metallica era before Pearl Jam, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick with that. So I'm gonna do yeah, my so, list. Uh, so oh, none of those none of those bands got anywhere close to the top five. But as I was putting the list together, I felt weird not including them on the list. So like I do have Guns N' Roses, Air Supply. I was young once. Bon Jovi, (laughs) Michael Jackson, and New Edition are down at the bottom of my list. But they were definitely belt holders before I discovered Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah. So I I did my list chronologically. So I'm going to do mine in order. Uh, Not of who I like the most, but just in the order in which they uh, threatened the belt or held the belt for a while. So uh, How hard was it to get to five? Uh, to get down to five, to pair it down mm-hmm. to five, it wasn't or tie actually... break tie break between six and seven with five. So yeah, so, so I would say really my list of bands that I considered for this was seven deep. There's a couple others I can throw in as honorable mentions, but uh, it wasn't actually too hard because the five bands I picked are so fundamentally me i told you this before recording you're not going to be surprised i don't think by any of my list they are all bands that i talk about all the time that i these are these are like my favorite bands of all time so um, i'm I'm really excited for this though because i feel like as much as you and i might be oh yeah of course i think this will this will be kind of a, a way to to really especially as we're it's kind of a new podcast we're letting people get to know kind of who we are and where our dna is yeah um, for sure so without further ado uh what was your number five so well for me i'm gonna call it my number one because it was the first band who okay. chronologically took the belt from pearl jam uh it, but for me it's queens of the stone age and uh <clears throat> this really happened you know, I would say from 1992 till uh, probably about 2002, I would say um, there was no dispute, really. It was pretty much Pearl Jam. One of my honorable mentions I'll talk about was before this band, but uh, but Queens of the Stone Age, uh, when I, I... So, interestingly enough, I'll preface this by saying... It was not their first self-titled album. It wasn't rated R. It was Songs for the Deaf that did this for me. Um, even I don't know how I didn't hear their self-titled album, their debut. I never heard it until after Songs Songs for the Deaf came out. And the reason I'm surprised I never heard it was because it was on Stone Gossard's Loose Groove Records. Stone Gossard put out uh, Queens of the Stone Age's first uh, album. And somehow, yeah, somehow that just totally escaped me. So I had no knowledge of that album. With Rated R, I had heard uh, Lost Art to Keep It a Secret on the radio, Um, you know, but I 
just for whatever reason, I don't think I ever listened to that album because again, back at that time, like you had to buy the albums. You had to be sure you liked them, uh, you know, before you bought it. But when I went to college, I discovered like, Hey, there are ways of getting music without paying for it. And uh, so in this era of pre-releases, I heard songs for the deaf uh, well before it actually came out. Um, I had a download of it. So I don't and... know Queens of the Stone Age nearly as well as you do, obviously. Uh, so give me the timeline. At what point is Dave Grohl drumming for them and everything yeah. else? Like, how does so, how does that all come together? So Songs for the Deaf came out in 2002. Uh, so, you know, they've... At that point, Queens of the Stone Age were, for all intents and purposes, a two-person band. Uh, kind of Josh a side Homme, project, right? It was... It was so, sort of, yeah. So Josh Homme and Nick Oliveri, they came from Caius. Um, but Josh had always been doing these uh, desert sessions where he would get together some of his buddies and they would just go out in the desert and put out these, like, crazy, like, stoner rock influence, like, um, uh, sort of noisy, ambient, like... Uh, dirty sounding like what you would think of a bunch of dudes like going and getting sweaty in the desert and putting out what's this swampy music right like and that was desert sessions and through that i think dave Grohl, i don't know what the exact connection was um you know josh played with the uh screaming trees for a while and so he he was certainly in and around that seattle scene even though he's not from seattle he had certainly spent time in that area and he got to know Dave Grohl. So in 2002, um, that's when they put out Songs for the Deaf. And uh, when I heard that album, that was like the first time that like something like just clicked with me. That was like, man, like I was in to that album. And I listened to it when that, I mean, by the time that album came, actually came out, I had already listened to it probably 50 times. Like I just never like my friends would complain like dude listen to something else like i just from beginning to end nonstop. um i absolutely love that album and uh i i went back then you know got bought rated r bought the self-titled debut was into them and then um and certainly when lullabies to paralyze came out then in 2005 uh i loved that album as well and at that point i would say like they had their hands on the belt. Like they were, that was a band that I was probably more excited for new music than I was from Pearl Jam at that point in time. Um, you know, over time, like I would, I don't know that I would say my love for them has waned, but they've just become a very inactive band. Um, yeah. After, you know, they put out uh, Era Vulgaris in 2007, and then they didn't put out another album until 2013 with uh, Light Clockwork. Uh, then there's like another four year gap and then another four, four or five year gap. So they've really slowed down. Um, Josh has been going through a lot in his personal life. Um, he's had, he had some health issues, went through a nasty divorce that uh, we, we don't need to talk about, but there's some ugly stuff yeah. going on with that. Um, That's a so, different YouTube channel with a yeah. lot more, a lot more hits and clicks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, Nick Oliveri is no longer with the band either. Like he, Josh had to kick him out of the band because he was accused of assaulting a woman. And uh, so it was like 
a lot has changed with that band through the year, but they've actually solidified into an actual. So when we group talk now. about canceled artists and separating the art from the artist, that episode yeah, we can we can talk we can about that one again. Talk about some of that. So, but that they, they they've solidified themselves as a band now. Like there, there are five members, four members, four or five members. Um, but uh, they've just they've slowed down. They go at their own pace. But like, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think all their albums, since I've started putting together my year-end list, I think every one of their albums has been in my top five. So just absolutely one of my unimpeachable all-time favorite bands is Queens of the Stone Age. All right. So my number five, I'm going straight to college. Um, you know, I again, you're, you're in the college scenario where you and I are of an age where you still had to buy things to to really get a handle on trying things out but my freshman year dorm i had some influential people showing me some of the stuff from where they grew up and then i was sharing a lot of like the heavier stuff from cleveland because cleveland's a metal town so i was teaching i was showing people mashuga and some of the, the crazy metal and hardcore stuff that i knew about that was interesting um and then i was being introduced to indie rock and emo and when i heard mineral for the first time I was I was just completely and utterly blown away. Um in 97 they released The Power of Failing and I'd heard that but when when they released uh End Serenading in 1998 I knew that this was this was the band for me and uh it was also kind of a mysterious situation because the band broke up while they were making that final album and so there was something about not being able to go see them and, and not, and thinking that they weren't going to be releasing any other material. The lead singer, Chris Simpson and uh, the bass player, Jeremy Gomez went on to do stuff with uh, some other side projects and different bands, but mineral for all practical purposes was never going to exist again. And so that music and those songs that I had just completely was taken by, um, it felt so final and there was just an, an extra level of, of specialness to it because it be, you know, when, when supply is limited and something becomes rare, um, it's almost like it burned out without anybody dying, you know, like where, yeah. where Nirvana felt more special after Kurt passed. Um, this felt special because they broke up and we just knew or thought that we were never going to get it again. Um, and so my love of these records continued for, ever all the way through and then um they got back together to to do some tours around uh the anniversary of end serenading and the anniversary of the band and i i got to see them in cleveland and then they played another show in chicago which i got on a plane by myself stayed in chicago by myself went to a show by myself because that's how much i needed to go see that show um and i really wanted to do it so um yeah, that's uh, that's that's my number that was, five. Uh, Mineral was one that I had never even heard of. I never had even heard of that band until uh, talking to you and you were you talked about them and turned turned them on to me. I, and I did listen to End Serenading, and it is a phenomenal record. It really is. Uh, I am not near as into emo as you are, uh, <laughs> so it like. I feel like that says something that alone that I was that in that I enjoyed that album as much as I did that uh definitely really really good album. 
Yeah. And even, you know, I, I had a band back in the early 2000s and, and we used to cover a song from uh, The Power of Failing, If I Could. And yeah, we just would, whenever possible, I, I felt like that band was kind of weaving in and out of my life. Uh, I still listen to End Serenading. It's, it's a very fall record for me. You know, some albums just a, it's a time oh, yeah. of year thing. <laughs> And that one, uh, the the dying season is when I listen to uh, and serenading. So there you go. <laughs> um, that's my number five. Uh, All right, let's jump to your number four. Okay, so my next band then, uh, I discovered it in 2013. Um, so at this point, I'd been in the workforce for a while, and I was really getting into the indie blogs. This was like the indie blog era. Uh, Were you in the workforce drowning? Ooh, nice. I like it. <laughs> a little Thursday reference. Uh, but that is not I'm, where I'm going with this. Oh, Although, that would have been, been perfect. That would have been perfect. <laughs> I do love Thursday, but they never quite had the uh, never quite had the belt. But uh, so at that at that time, like the early 2010s, there were just tons of you know indie blogs, like these blogs that would all these indie bands and labels would just send them all this music, just tons of music. And these people would throw it out on their blog and say, Hey, here's this band. Here's this band. And I was listening to all of it. I was trying to find things that I loved at that point. Cause I was feeling a little stagnant at that time with new music. I just wasn't finding bands, new bands that were interesting to me. So one day this EP got released and I listened to it, and it was by Dead Confederate. Uh, they're a band out of, uh, well, they were a band out of Athens, Georgia. Um, at that time, Athens had this killer scene happening, actually. Like, the Wigs came out of that. I'm trying to remember. There were a couple other bands that were really great uh, coming out of that uh, out and of this that, is this uh, is a band area. similar to Mineral that I had never heard of until I met you and we started yeah. talking and yeah. I felt I never felt as in love as you did but man yeah. some of those records are just unbelievable. And so they uh yeah so the the same year that they put out that that EP they they also then put out their debut album Wrecking Ball um and they sort of combine elements of like sort of like bring like a sonic youth vibe to a southern rock mixed with grunge sort of like uh their singer t hardy morris he has a little bit of a kurt cobain style of delivery uh so there were a lot of immediate uh comparisons to that but musically it was like i said a little bit more southern rock a little bit of grunge a little bit of you know that sonic youth like expansiveness a little um, of that dirt from like dinosaur jr kind of yeah, the yeah, yeah it sounds yeah. like it, it sounds like it was all written in a which, garage which makes sense because jay mascus actually played uh guitar on their second album on sugar he played on uh he, he did this i don't know if he played on the whole song or if he just did the solo um but uh yeah uh so that was a band they they only released three albums they did wrecking ball in 2013 uh sugar was you know what actually i actually sugar was I'm, 2010 yeah i would say i'm actually now that i think about it i bet you that wrecking ball was probably 2007 maybe 2008 
2008, yeah. And then Sugar, 2009, and then In the Morrow was their last album. That was probably the one that was 2013. So I had my years mixed up a little bit there. But uh, yeah, they put out three albums. They like they had like a little bit of success. Like Pitchfork reviewed their album, which was a big deal, even though Pitchfork hated it. Um, I think I looked today. I think they gave Wrecking Ball a 5.8, I think. Um, On the Pitchfork played... scale, that's not even the end of the world. Yeah, it's not, not, not it, well, it actually kind of is because like it, when Pitchfork like drops, like gives bands like their twos and three scores, like you, there's almost like something that's like almost like an FU edge to it that like almost gives that more credence. It's like that 5.8, yeah. if you're in the five range, it's really like uh they just don't care about it, about it. But, you know, they played on Conan O'Brien. Um, they killed it on Conan O'Brien. Uh, you can go on YouTube and find tons of live videos of of them, and they are just phenomenal live. But they just never caught on big enough to really make it, and the, most of the band members moved on to real life. Like, uh, their bass player, he's a web developer now, I think. Uh, one guitarist, uh, you know, he's doing art. Um you know t hardy morris he still does some solo stuff but uh yeah it's it's a shame they're not still around because i really miss them a lot i loved this band but uh from the wikipedia page the band's original drummer now works as an electrician okay which is is fine but it just it reads funny on the wikipedia page for a beloved (laughs) band right yeah i mean it's just it's just goes to show this this disconnect between things that to me like i thought this was like the best band in the world and they just couldn't find a big enough audience to really sustain. And I don't really know why that is. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is about them that they couldn't even catch on big enough. Like I'm not, I didn't expect them to be like playing arenas or anything like that. But to me, they were a good enough band that it seems like they should have been able to have a longer career than five years or whatever it was. When I think they were, I think they were a little bit ahead of their time, a little bit, uh, a little bit out of, out of order because, if you if you take that band because they also played with a little bit of slide guitar, almost kind oh, of a yeah. country bent, yes. and so you just imagine them on tour with Jason Isbell. You imagine, yeah, you, yep. you know the, the 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 market for that style of music that's not quite rock, not quite country, but definitely songwriter focused yeah. and, and melodic and somewhere in between is more pronounced. That market is more pronounced today, and, and that's not to say it's ginormous. Right. But it's 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 that lane that lane exists more today than it probably did when they were when they were doing their thing. Yeah, that's a good point. So, but so never yeah. say never. We could get we could get yeah, the reunion. You never you know, know. If Mineral you taught know. us anything. That's right. That's right. So, and I'm I, look. I'm lucky. I got to see them a couple times live. Um, you know, and there's, it's one of those things you've talked about this in the past. Like I got to talk to them at their merch table after one of their shows. They it was just you know I. I had like stars in my eyes. Like I felt like I was talking to bona fide rock stars, you know, but like, cause I just, I adored that band. And so, yeah, that was my, my next one. Dead Confederate. All right. My number four. And uh, you know, I know I've, I've named a band that a lot of you might not have heard of, and I'm about to name another one that you might not have heard of. I will not be too cool for the room on my top three. I promise. <laughs> but this was, this is my life. This is my life as a Clevelander. Um, with my friends growing up, my number four is Acid Bath. They are a death metal, a melodic, sludgy death metal band from Louisiana. They uh, never quite made it big. Um, 
but they were the biggest thing in my life and my friends' lives in the Cleveland area. I got to see them live twice. I got to meet them and hang out with them one time. Um, and their music when I was 15, 16, 17 was just everything to me. I, uh, this is funny. So when I was a, a teenager and I started getting into computers and my first internet connection, I bought a book on HTML at Micro Center and I built my, my own websites. And so I built the first homepage, the fan homepage for acid bath on the web. Um, I got I to know say real late... quick, by the way, this is funny. Cause I made a dead Confederate fan page. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are those people. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, but and yeah, I, actually, I, got, I, I actually got an email from their management that they were actually not super happy with me because I, wow. Because they felt that it looked too official. That, that seriously, like they, like I, I don't remember if I, what my URL was. I don't even remember anymore, but it was like, it wasn't deadconfederate.com, but it was like deadconfederatemusic.com or something like that. And I, yeah. so I got that, I got the letter like, Hey, you know, this is, we're a little concerned about people thinking that this is official. Can you make sure that it says unofficial somewhere on there? So yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Mine was like pre pre vanity URLs. Like I didn't yeah. even really do that. So mine was but hanging Geocities. off of mine was hanging off the, the free space that I was given as part of my ISP, which was okay. a dial yep. up here in Northeast Ohio. So I had this weird URL with a, a tilde and then my yeah. username. Yep. Net and then link, you had link dot, dot com slash. And then you had to go yeah. to, and then you had to go to acidbath.html. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. But I ended up getting listed on, on search engines as, as such as they were at the time. And uh, I had pictures up there. Um, I used to accrue costs for hosting those images. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. just funny to think about now, but I got in touch with, uh, you know, they got in touch with me. Um, I had a copy of their second record a month before anybody else did. So my friends thought I was the king of the world because we were listening to my disc in the garage a full month before it was actually out. And um, yeah, so, but th that band, um, it's brutal. It, the lyrics don't hold up. You know, you're, you're, they're kind of embarrassingly uh, violent and, and grotesque, much like Cannibal Corpse or any of the death metal bands from that time period. But I've kind of made peace with it. I still like to listen to it today. And my friends, who are all just incredible musicians, they actually, the band, so the, the bass player passed away from uh he was hit by a drunk driver and then the band kind of folded thereafter uh lead singer dax riggs went on to have uh, something of a reasonable solo career not playing metal anymore just kind of more bluesy singer songwriter the guitarist sammy pierre Douay uh has been in a bunch of metal bands and continues to to tour um all the time my friends put together an acid bath tribute band just for fun um, and they ended up touring all over the country as that, that tribute band. And they play it last year. They were lucky enough to play in Louisiana near acid baths hometown. And the guitarist from acid bath joined them on stage and played some songs with them. So, yeah. um, there's lots of, I got a lot of personal ties to acid bath in the weirdest possible way that launches them to the top of my list in ways that it probably couldn't for other people. 
Yeah, I think sometimes with music, there's context that matters. And uh, when uh, you turned me on to Acid Bath and I tried giving it a listen, it was it's hard to, without any of that context, it's a challenging thing to go back and get into. Um, yeah, man, you had to be there. <laughs> but so, but, that, but that, sometimes that matters. Like, that's that's yeah. the joy of music. Music's, it's like this, you know, the, they, the, the quote-unquote soundtrack of your life. But, like, that's the, your DNA is, like, your past is littered with the moments that are tied to different music and the way that context leads you to certain bands having maybe more impact on you than it would you know, for other people or, you know, and sometimes it's, it's just a timing thing. An album might come at the right time in your life where you needed to hear that or whatever, whatever the case may be. So. Well, and that's the nature of this conversation too. Like if we were having a conversation about my favorite bands that I think that I could sell to you or to the, the Royal right. you, the audience out there, I got a lot of them, but I would never try and sell anybody that unless they already liked metal or death metal or hardcore, I yeah. would never try and sell anybody on acid bath. You yeah. know, it's a tough, it's a tough it sell. It is. And with that, let's go to your All number right. three. My number three. Uh, so this was happening about the same time that I was into dead Confederate. Um, and I probably also picked up on their debut album from an indie blog. I'm guessing. Um, I'm talking about Titus Andronicus, a uh, punk band out of New Jersey. Uh, really, for all intents and purposes, it's the brainchild of Patrick Stickles. Um, he's the only person that's been around for every single album. He's sort of had a rotating cast of bandmates around him for different uh, different eras of that band. But in 2008, um, they came out with the airing of Grievances. And I listened to it, and I really liked it. It was different. It was, it was definitely punk, but like, but it was punk without the power chords. Like, uh, Patrick is an amazing guitarist and he's writing all these, like mixing these jangly lead parts and these searing guitar solos. And like, it was like, oh, this is, this is different. Um, I would say his voice is an acquired taste. Um, it's definitely the thing that probably turns most people off to Titus Andronicus um, is Patrick's vocals. But uh, I personally actually love them. Uh, once you sort of get used to his delivery and you like, he's an incredible lyricist and the vocal melodies are there. Um, he's just not always delivering them in a conventional way. Uh, but the area of grievances I thought was good. Um, I liked it a lot, but I, that it, not enough for me to say like, this is going to be one of my favorite bands. Uh, but then in 2010, uh, they put out the monitor and this is probably one of the most monumental fundamental albums of my life. Um, if, if Pearl Jam's yield is my all time favorite album, it's a two way tie between Soundgarden's down on the upside and Titus Andronicus is the monitor for my new second favorite album of all time. Um, I don't go a month without listening to this album still to this day. Um, it is this epic punk rock opera almost like it's, 
telling a story of a what of life on the road as a touring band member, but it's told through the vision or through the imagery of the Civil War. Um, it's interlaced with clips of speeches from Abraham Lincoln. Um, it, the the fight the final song Battle of Hampton Road talks about uh, a famous Civil War battle between uh, two these two two massive ships um, between the Monitor and the CSS Virginia. CSS which took Virginia, place in eighteen sixty two. Yep. So you know this is like this is stuff you could choose to roll your eyes at if you want to, but like he was going for something. Like he had something to say. He had an idea of how to tell this story in an unconventional manner. And everything about this album just speaks to my very musical core. This this album is in my soul, uh, and, and it's, so it's it's a maybe an acquired taste. But Pitchfork included on their list. It was number ten yep. of, of the year in twenty ten yep. for them. So you're not the only one. No, um, this this album is a bona fide like anybody who pays attention to sort of this genre of music. This is a elite album that is absolutely revered by everybody like this is not an unconventional take on the monitor now the and the like in and, and, and it's it's one of those albums that even if you personally don't like it you know it's like yeah. an oscar an, an oscar candidate movie that yeah. you may not like it but you recognize the artistry you recognize the degree of difficulty and you yeah. recognize the the accomplishment of putting yeah. it together and it's an album with hardly any verses or choruses it's it's almost written i always tell people i always say to people when i'm describing it, i always say it, it's almost written like classical music where you've got movements like movements and returns you know like it there's not a lot of verse chorus verse structure in these songs they're linear journeys like this is an album you listen to from beginning to end you don't really pick songs out of it it, I mean, there are songs that you can listen to and enjoy on their own, but primarily this is an album intended to be listened to in its entirety from beginning to end. Um, and, you know, I think Titus Andronicus's post-monitor releases have been fairly divisive. Um, you know, so a lot of people kind of jumped off the train after that. I personally have loved all of their albums, and I thought that The Will to Live, their last album, was like a true, like, return to form for them like I, that album finished in my top five for the year um i think that one holds up on its own very strong um and so this is a band to this day if they put out an album i am totally geeked out about them this is a very strong contender this is probably one of my five favorite bands of all time so this was a no-brainer for me to include on my list all right, number three. I'm starting to to have some things for the people. It's no longer just uh, these <laughs> weird ones that nobody's ever heard of. Number three for me is Death Cab for Cutie. Um, I fell in love with this band. It's one of the bands. There are only a handful of bands in my life that I can say that I was there at the very beginning. Um, now, the very very beginning. I don't know, but I, I a buddy of mine told me about this band back when I still lived in Boston at the tail end of my college days. And they were playing an afternoon show at the Middle East in Cambridge, which is a legendary rock club in the basement. It's a former duck pin bowling lane. It's very long and narrow with very low ceilings. And so I went and got to see Death Cab play an afternoon show there. And I was just hooked. They had this was back in the day where they were on Barsook Records, which is a label out of uh, Seattle, Washington, where they're from or somewhere in uh, Bellingham, Washington, wherever, somewhere up there. 
and they had uh, demo MP3s that you could download to try out the album. Yep, and I so I had all of the demos downloaded and I listened to it so many times over and over and over again that I instantly bought um, the two records that were out because something about airplanes was out and we have the facts and we're voting yes was, was out. So that's kind of the vintage mm-hmm. of when I jumped on board. Um, but it never stopped. It just never stopped. I saw them uh, a bunch more times, including um, when I started to date my future wife, she lived in Chicago and I went, I went there to see Ben Gibbard play a solo acoustic show at Shuba's Tavern. Um, I got to meet Ben after that show. Uh, then when they played the Metro, uh, the same, not, not the Bartman, the Bartman years when the, when the Cubs yeah, were in the world series, yeah, yeah. I was, I was in Chicago that weekend, but I was at the Metro watching okay. death cab. Um, and then, of course, that was by that point, they had already released Transatlanticism. I essentially dated my wife to that album. Um, and so I was just all in on Death Cab for the longest, longest time. It did wane a little bit there. I kind of fell off for a while. But um, over the last three years, I've I've jumped straight back in. Um, I took my kids to see them. I took my whole family to see them. It's, it's continued on. Uh, it, it just... It was just a very, very important band for me because of the way it weaved through my life, because the way those the the style and the lyrics. It's it's kind of strange that I fell in love with them as much as I did, because usually I would fall in love with a band with a vocalist with a more extensive range who goes for it more. Ben Gibbard never really screams. He never really goes to the top of his range. He yeah. doesn't have one of these. He, he's no Chris Cornell, <laughs> but something about the way he writes and, and the choruses and the builds and the drama that he creates with his songwriting, um, I just fell in love with it all. I would say, like, I feel like Death Cab is one of the most quintessentially you bands uh, in the, in the time of our friendship uh i would say it's probably one of the bands i've heard you talk about the most um i think it was probably one of the first bands that like you really like i remember that you talking about um just how much they meant to you personally um so this one does not surprise me being on your list definitely not all right so i think we're to your number two yep and so this one for me um I discovered because they were from Cleveland, which originally made me sort of want to I'm pay excited because I know where you're going. <laughs> so I wanted to pay attention. They're from Cleveland. And it was this, what you would almost call bedroom rock. Uh, they were playing, it was just essentially, it was one guy playing on his guitar, the drum machine. Um, and I, it was not the most exciting music when I first heard it. Um, so I might as well say who it is. It's Cloud Nothings, um, started by Dylan Baldy out of Cleveland. Uh, I think literally re- might have recorded this in his basement at his parents' house. His, the debut While he was album, a student Turning at Case Western Reserve. Yeah. And so I liked it. I could hear through the, like, sort of low lo-fi vibe i could hear these like incredibly catchy melodies he kept lacing into these songs but it wasn't really my style of music but i was intrigued i was like this is pretty cool this is like a really good musician out of cleveland like 
okay, cool. Uh, they put out a self-titled album, which I liked a lot less than uh, Turning On, which was the first thing I'd heard by them. And that was um, in 2011. 2011, okay. And so, you know, what? Yeah, that was fine. You know, so then I still remember it was in the winter. I had gone grocery shopping. I'd just gotten a new car. I was leasing a new car, and so I had an XM subscription, and I was listening to, like, the indie station on on xm and i remember the dj saying hey we've got this new song from cloud nothings uh they got a new album coming out and i remember him saying this song has a different vibe to it and he goes i'm really not sure if i'm super into it i hope this isn't the direction this that they're going or something something along those lines because remember this which is song coming was to, it what's that which song was it well, it was um oh my gosh. It was um the first single No Future No Past. No, no Future No Past. You okay. gotta remember this is coming from an indie channel. Like they were into the lo fi bedroom rock stuff. Like they wanted more of that. And so the song starts, you know, and it starts with the piano and this song just starts to build and all of a sudden that for anybody who's ever heard this song i mean in that halfway through it just erupts into the no future no past part and i was like i wanted yeah, to it's look- like it's like zach de la roca took over yeah all these spirits and i wanted to pull my car over like i was like what on earth like this is so great like i could not believe how good this song was and to come from what I'd heard previously. And we talk about this, but like, you're going to notice the drums. Like I'm not always the guy who notices drumming the first. I've never played drums. So I don't have that connection with my ear. When I listen to music, I'm not inclined to listen to the drums, but the drums are inescapable on that. Uh, well, now throughout cloud, nothings, but on attack on memory, Dylan went out, uh, put a real band together. It was no longer just Dylan doing it himself. And that attack on memory is, it's heavy. It, but it like, it, it's so catchy. Like some of the choruses on that album were just so catchy. It, yeah. It, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher his name, but there, his drummer, Jason Garrick, G-R-Y-C-Z. Yeah. He is just an unbelievable addition to the band and you and i were around when he was added yes so we can say that yes but, and uh and attack on memory was also engineered by steve albini who did in All, utero yeah also worth worth noting and uh and the sound of that record is just so incredible and yes. the songs obviously follow suit yeah and so so that was incredible so i was like okay i am into this band <laughs> so that's sort of like them reaching out for the belt and then they put out Here and Nowhere Else, which is my personal favorite Cloud Nothings album to this day. Um, and that was when they had the belt. Like when that album came out, they absolutely had the belt. And I still remember you and I talking when we first heard Here and Nowhere Else. The production style is so different from Attack on Memory. Like yeah. our first initial instinct was, boy, I don't know about this. Like it was because it was almost jarring. Like, it took us multiple listens. I just remember us like talking about like, Hey, I listened to it again. Like it's, it's a lot better on the second listen. And then again, dude, it's even better on the third listen. And like fourth listen, like dude, this is still getting better. What's going on with this album? Like that album is 
just insanely great. Um, but we had to get used to it because it was it do. was so different. You know, where where some bands find that they find the their sound in the studio and they yeah. just keep they write different songs, but they kind of keep repeating. All right, well, the drums always sound like this, and the bass always kind of sounds like this. Yeah, um, and it's just variations on a theme. Right, Cloud Nothings don't do don't haven't done that yet. Right, because then they followed that up with Life Without Sound, which was yet again, not only was that another change in production style, but it was also a change in tone in general. Like they, it was, you know, I don't like to use the word softer for it, but I mean, I guess it was like the, it was just, it was a more melodic album than, you know, the just like straightforward rock like hard rock sound that they had on those uh, previous couple albums. But I loved that. Yet an, album too. Yet another engineer and producer. Yeah. Another different one. Yeah. And so at that point, like I cloud, nothing's that they definitely had the belt. Um, I would say like, while I, I have loved everything they've put out, um, last building burning shadow. I remember, uh, they did a the black hole understands black hole understands. Um, I, I, didn't quite hold those albums in quite as high, like high of regard as I did those first, no. well, not first three, but the, those previous three albums that I loved. Um, but uh, I will say, you know, topically right now, uh, Cloud Nothing's just announced they got a new album coming out and they put out two songs off of it. And I am all in on these two, these two songs they've released so far. And it again, is again, another production shift. Um, you know, and I and a label shift and a label shift. And I think I said that for the first time when I'm listening to it, I kind of feel a connection to a previous album. To me, these sound like life without sound era cloud nothings to me a little bit. Um, so I'm curious to see what this album sounds like, but they're, they're a band that definitely is uh, still to this day, one of my favorite bands for sure. Yeah, they didn't crack my top five as like a belt holder, but especially because they always seem to play Cleveland. I've seen them live a number of times, including I got to see them in uh, the Happy Dog yeah. with like maybe 75 people. Well, we saw them just, together at Mahal's. We did at Mayhalls. Yeah. yeah, Mayhalls. But those, those experiences of being able to see that band live in the tiniest places on earth you know, hometown shows or whatever. Yeah. It's just been phenomenal. Yep. Just phenomenal. Yep. So, yep. So that was my, uh, well, I called it my number four cause I'm going chronologically, but I guess my number two. So <laughs> yeah. All right. So my, I, I, my number two, and this is probably the first band that really took the, took the, uh, the mantle or maybe the second band that took the mantle from Pearl jam. I'm going with tool. Um, I was absolutely, in, and I know Tool's got one of the biggest fan bases in the world. They're still one of the biggest rock touring bands in in existence, and they sell out basically every show they play. Uh, I'm a little bit over them these days for, for reasons that we could probably get into at some point, um, but mostly because I've seen them so many times, and I've I've loved them so much over such a long period of time. I never got to see him at Lollapalooza, or I never got to see him the first time they were on Lollapalooza, but I got to see them shortly thereafter. Uh, they played a show at Nautica with Flaming Lips opening up. Um, it was one of my first big mosh pits. That was before they had the top <laughs> on Nautica, so it was like yeah. 110 degrees. Um, at the end of the show, I caught 
Danny Carey's drumstick. I still have it around here somewhere. I should bring nice. it out. It's, it's crazy. It's got, uh, it's like a normal drumstick, but it's got like a bulb, like a handle on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, sh I should really have pulled it out, but, um, then I was lucky enough. I got tickets to go see them at the Agora on the first leg of their Anima tour before they really hit the big time. Yep. Um, and shortly thereafter, they, they grew to the point where they played small arena arenas and basketball arenas, things like that. So, um, I was lucky enough to see them three or four times Did you see them on the at way the, up. Um, this is, this was probably the lateralis tour when they played this at CSU at the convocation center with Meshuga opening. I never saw that one. I saw I was at that. I was at that one, which was a, Awesome a different show. leg of the lateralis tour where they played uh it was gundarina at the time okay maybe it wasn't lateralis i don't i can't remember which tour that was but yeah i can't remember either is that at but really what it, what it comes down to for me was anima anima yeah. i loved undertow and i was just in love with that record but undertow when was anima came out scary like yeah that like the you know the sober video was so weird like for us at that age you know too like I just remember like thinking like Tool that kind of like almost kind of scary like because you didn't they were mysterious you didn't know what the vibe of that of that of the band really was yeah at that point I I, I too well, I know I too liked Undertow a lot and I know one of your one of the big reasons one of the cementing factors for you with Pearl Jam and specifically Yield is um, is message board culture and how you got into that yep. and really deep diving into all the details tool was maybe one of the first bands with uh toolshed.down.net. Oh, yeah. They had, oh, yeah. they had a homepage and people song lyrics and song meanings and people with theories trying to extrapolate and figure out what the hell that band was talking about. Yeah. Um, and so there was, there was like a, a geeky, sci-fi angle almost yes. to being a fan of tool and yeah. i dove deep into all that stuff i i started listening to bands that they liked like the melvins i never would have listened to the melvins without mm -hmm. tool um and so you know that's that's the kind of hold that that band had on me where it wasn't just i was following the the extraneous paths away from tool as well so i'll tell you this is one of my honorable mention bands um this is this is a band that uh when i talked about you know some of the ones that were before queens of the stone age that could have ha had the belt tool is definitely an honorable mention one um i went all the way up to toronto to see them at edge fest one year um i i've seen them probably three or four times as well uh which for me is a lot <laughs> um i i this i don't know how you can if you are like I always struggle with like if you're a musician and like how you cannot at least be intrigued by the construction of these songs that Tool writes like because again you know similar to sort of what I was saying with Titus Andronicus like well Tool does definitely have verses and choruses but these are songs that feel linear they're you're going on a journey with these songs from beginning to end and I love everything about tool uh, you and i are similar we've we've both sort of grown a little bit tired of certain aspects of their shtick if you will or yep uh we have our frustrations with maybe maynard a little bit for certain things but uh you know I, but i still i still love this band listen to them all the time 
Yeah, me too. And and maybe the most iconic story for me with this band. Uh, so when when I first became a dad, I knew I was going to take my kids to shows. And so when my oldest son, who's now 13, when the day that he finished the first grade, I came home, I picked him up, we drove to Pittsburgh, we checked into a hotel, we grabbed some dinner, we walked up the hill to the arena at Pitt, mm. and I believe my son was about the youngest person at the <laughs> show in Pittsburgh that night. We did it together. He had the ear protection on. Um, I, I was wearing my Death Heaven t-shirt that night, so that's... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Didn't make my list today, but someday we'll talk about mm, foreshadowing. Oh, I guess we're going to talk about Deaf Heaven. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't mean to spoil it. Um, but I took my first grader to see Tool. Yeah, that's and, awesome. You've uh, told me that story before, and I absolutely love that story. It's phenomenal. So, Andrew, who's your number one? All right. Well, uh, we have we're most of, recent to take the belt in this the case. Most recent to take the belt, indeed. And this is the band most threatening right now still to this day um it is obviously we just mentioned it it's deaf heaven and uh i might as and before well... you go on this this the my level of infatuation with deaf heaven is on is on par on par yeah. that that top five is is uh is is it's, uh competitive it depth. is yeah so go ahead and i'll tell the story of my journey with deaf heaven um i would you know, I was not familiar with them at all uh, when they put out their debut album, Roads to Judah. Never heard it. Didn't know anything about it. Uh, again, this is probably a a, a blog story because um, there were still the blogs around. And all of a sudden, they all started talking about this album, Sunbather. And it had such an impossible to not pay attention to this album cover there was just something about that album cover that just drew you into it like uh there was just it was like you you couldn't not notice that album cover and it it's was bright pink everywhere it's bright pink and all the lettering is white and yeah. it's just s-u-n-b-a-t-h-e-r in uh -oh. giant yeah. letters it's iconic looking yes one of the best album covers ever by far. But anyways, so all these all these blogs started um, talking about it. So I listened to it. And I had no experience at this point really with black metal. I, um, and Def Heaven are not a pure black metal band. It's just one of their influences. But uh, George Clark, their singer, is a black metal style singer. Um, it's Which got, means he screams it's, like a banshee. It's yeah, this high pitch. I always said it's like he's trying to like swallow glass, like trying to force glass down his throat. It's it's a like almost like a wispy. Whereas like death metal is like that guttural, like you're singing it from down here, like Cookie Monster vocals. Yeah, you know the death heaven <laughs> register, that black metal register is, is is higher. And I had never heard it before, and I hated it. I couldn't stand it. I remember talking to Craig about it. I was, I would just be like, dude, like this deaf heaven, like everybody's talking about it. Like, I can't stand this. It's terrible. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like this album is phenomenal. And I was like, well, right. and I only discovered it when toward the end of the year, when the, the best of list started coming out and I read, I read about it on a best of, so this must've been five, six months after it came out, five months after it came out. Yeah. And I never listened to it the first time around, but once that's I, I it, saw that's it, that's how it went. 
Sorry, I didn't mean. To I saw it on a year end list, and I listened to it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is one of the best things I've ever heard." When you brought it to me, you're like, "Hey, have you heard of Death Heaven?" And I was like, "Oh, dude, they're terrible. They suck." I listened to it because I had listened to it when it came out, and I never listened to it again. I thought it was so mm-hmm. awful. Um, there was this great, uh, there was this great blog called I Rock Cleveland. Um, I wish I can remember the guy's name who did. It. I really miss his site a lot. He was a he was a great uh, got uh, indie blog writer, but uh, he was just raving about this album. And I remember going back and forth with him in the comments when it came out a little bit because I just didn't understand it. I will say, like, I loved the transition pieces in the music. Um, the moments between the vocals, I thought, I definitely loved those. I was like, God, if only this band had a singer, if only they could sing. And it's funny for me to say this now because we're going to talk about this. But so, anyways, so months go by and that's when at year end craig tells me like hey have you heard this death heaven i'm like ah they're terrible and craig would not let it go he kept telling me listen to it again you have to listen to it again there's no way you're not gonna like it just keep give it a shot like just try to like and i think you probably were the probably maybe even the first one to tell me like just accept the vocals as part of the background, like the music, like it's, you know, you you can't go into it expecting them to be what traditional vocals are. Whatever. Once, once upon a time, let me, let me go to the, to the, so when the same person who introduced mineral to me way back in the day is the one that I introduced Meshuggah to, and he just did not get it at all. And Mm -hmm. then I finally said to him, well, so every, everything in Meshuggah is essentially doing a different, rhythm and they all end up lining up at some point so think of the singer like a percussion instrument yeah yeah that's and so um so i gave it another listen and i was i still wasn't sold on the vocals yet i'll probably on that next listen but man the music is just inescapable it's you want to talk about music that takes you to another place like that's deaf heaven's music um they these songs build i mean they dream house the pecan tree i could just cry listening oh to those songs. god they're so amazing and you know they they they'll build to these heavy you know the these heavy blast beat parts and then all of a sudden the blast beat goes away and it just washes like a wave into these ethereal moments of the of these like interlaced guitar playing um that is just I, I I don't I don't even have the words to describe uh, how otherworldly uh, Deaf Heaven's music is, uh, but so I did eventually fall in love with Sunbather, and then uh, when New Bermuda came out, once again I loved everything about that album, and at that point I was I was actually to now I love the vocals of Deaf Heaven like I, to me it adds so much to that music and I can understand what he's doing and not to mention the degree of difficulty of, uh, of singing like that is, you know, just insane. Uh, so, you know, new Bermuda love that. And then for me, when they put out ordinary corrupt human love, that was when I was like, okay, this might be the best band in the world. And I still hold that opinion today. Like I will say that Pearl Jam is my favorite band, but I am not convinced that deaf heaven is not, the best band in the world right now um i think that highly of them there's nobody that does what they do in the same way that can even touch what they're doing um now we can talk a little bit about 
you know, if there's a reason they don't have the belt, um, you know, Infinite Granite was an album I liked. And I think I probably ranked it pretty high on my year-end list, actually. But over time, I have sort of fallen out of love with Infinite Granite. And the biggest thing people will talk about with that is obviously the vocals, because the vo- they did go to um, more singing and less, very few screams in that album. Um, and it, it sort of has sort of a slow dive or ride um, type of... Uh, of influence um and to me like those bands that like lean more into that more traditional uh shoegazy thing those bands do it so much better than deaf heaven did um so that's sort of my problem with infinite granite but i will say like i'm i've already got the itch for their next album i don't care what what it sounds like if they're singing or if they're screaming again i I want to see what direction they're going to go. I'm all in on this band. This is this is a band I'm going to be listening to for the rest of my life, without a doubt. Like this is, like, I'll use that word again: unimpeachable, pure greatness. Um, every element of this band. There's not a weak weak spot in this band. All the musicians are phenomenal musicians. Um, it's incredible band. So yeah, it's Def Heaven is Pearl Jam's biggest threat to this day. When at some point we'll we'll redo some of this Death Heaven stuff and we'll have a deeper conversation yeah. about them. But as far as Infinite Granite goes, they've played nine shows in 2024, and they've not played a single song from Infinite Granite yet. Interesting. And, and some of that has to do with the fact that they open for they're they're not a headliner on a lot of these tours. Yeah. So they're only playing five songs because their songs are also really long. But they've yeah. played Black Brick, Brought to the Water, Dream House, Gifts for the Earth, and Sunbather. What a set. What a set. It man. is. But but nothing from Infinite Granite, not even the one screamer Mombasa. Yeah. So we um Craig and I were robbed. We had tickets to see oh, Death yeah. Heaven and Greet Death. Greet Death was supposed to open uh here in Columbus. Uh and this was right when COVID happened. It was I don't remember I don't know if you remember the date. Was it March something? I mean was I think it was like March twenty twenty. Um and so I was so excited because I have not seen Deaf Heaven live yet. Um so I was very excited for that show. We were supposed to go April eighth, twenty twenty. Yep. And I remember us talking at first, like, so if they have the show, are we going to go? Like, how comfortable are you going? Like, being around people. But obviously, it, they ended up canceling everything when everything shut down. Um, yeah. And so we got robbed of that show. But one cool thing that Def Evan did was they put out uh, 10 Years Gone, which is a it's studio live album. So they took the set list that they were going to play on that tour and they just recorded it live in the studio and put it out on vinyl. And so, um, and it, I mean, it's, it's streaming as well. And so I have that. I love that. I listen to it all the time. And I just think, man, this set is so insane that we were going to get to see. But uh, at least we well, got like with, a little And once again, well, once again, I've seen Deaf Heaven probably four or five times now, which I feel very fortunate to have been able to see them. But a couple of those times it was like an opener set or they were on a side stage at a festival. Yeah. And so like it's one of those cases and we've talked about it a couple of times now where a band will be the biggest thing in yours and my life yeah. Yeah. But in the wider world, in the market. Like they're they're not multimillionaire. Right. Uh, 
mansion dwelling musicians yeah. living high on the hog like they're they they were almost definitely hurt horribly financially by missing all that touring time during the pandemic and so yeah. i'm sure that live album was just them doing whatever they possibly could to, to, to survive by and make it survive yep so yeah so and i would be remiss if i didn't mention carrie mccoy's guitar playing too like they're such a unique guitar player and songwriting um, and, yeah and, and, and songwriter and and like like i shouldn't slight uh oh my gosh what's, and also what's one the, of the best drummers in the world do you have the, the do you have the lineup in front of you what's what's the other guitarist's name um Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's George Clark, Kerry McCoy, Daniel Tracy, Shiv Mera, and Chris Shiv. and Chris Johnson. Shiv is a phenomenal guitar player too in his own right. So I don't mean to slight him. He writes he's playing some of the more intricate parts um in these Def Def Heaven songs, but Kerry McCoy is just like he's sort of like the way I feel about Stone Gosser with Pearl Jam, like he's just got like Stone has this way like just a different ear for music that songs go in a direction yeah. you're not expecting somehow that you always get surprised by a stone Gossard song. And that's how I feel about Carrie McCoy to the nth degree, like beyond even like, you know, even beyond what stone Gossard is doing, but Carrie McCoy is just an absolute musical genius in my mind for the, for how musical he is in a hep, quote unquote, heavy metal band, which I don't know if somebody asked you what kind of band is deaf heaven, what would your answer be? I would just call him metal. Yeah. Yeah, so it's probably the easiest um, short form, but so yeah, that's that. But it, it's interesting because you know you and I have talked about it. But between Deaf Heaven and Cloud Nothings, you've got some of the the most underrated, probably underrated drummers. Yeah, they play on very small kits. Yeah, they play unbelievably fast, and they're just absolutely incredible. The the two of them together, yeah, um, just are, ridiculous. Are just <laughs> two of the best drummers in America who are completely and totally unheralded because of yep. the bands they play in. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, so that concludes my list. What do you got? So, the the real, the true best band working today, not Deaf Heaven, as much <laughs> as I love it. Now, I'm, I'm not going to turn this into a competition. <laughs> Manchester Orchestra. Manchester mm. Orchestra is by far my favorite band going today um, by a long shot. The, the material that they are putting out today and the material that they continue to put out is just unbelievable for a band that's going on their 20th year you know they started kind of as a bit of a solo project um became a fully formed band for mean their their first record i'm like a virgin losing a child the big breakout hit was mean everything to nothing um and then you know simple math i loved simple math and i thought it was pretty good i saw that tour cope and hope was okay um and then they released Black Mile to the Surface in 2017, and that is their dark side of the moon so far. Yeah. Like that that record, it didn't make sense to me that a band this many years on, this many albums in, could put out something so monumental and so insanely good. Um, I already liked them, but this took them to the point where I just absolutely loved, loved, loved them. They followed it up with the Million Mass of God. Um, they they could the Valley of Vision was an EP that they put out. Every they they put out little singles that are better than <laughs> most things. You know, one off singles for for their one off show yeah. that they do at Thanksgiving down in Atlanta. 
that are better than some of the stuff that people put as, as highlights to their records. It's almost and a shame just, that like they're just relegated to like an offshoot status. Like some of those songs are that good. You're absolutely right. And they've they've been through a few lineup changes, but the the current lineup, Andy Hall, Robert McDowell, those are the two who have stuck through everything. The principal songwriters, the guitar players, singers. Um, Tim Vary is an unbelievable drummer, and then Andy Prince. Andy Prince may be my my favorite bass player going today. He he's he's a hundred feet tall. <laughs> He struts around and plays unbelievable bass with unbelievable attitude, yes. like positive attitude. Um, he is so much fun to watch. He also plays with Kevin Devine and the goddamn band. Um, okay. He he looks like he's having the best time. I would say, and, like, and I just that's just what it is. I feel like his bass playing is like he's not doing things that are technically proficient. Like I, in, in the sense that like, you're not going to listen to be like, man, how does he play that? But he, again, it's, you talk about people who just are musical. He adds so much to the song by understanding exactly where, where that bass needs to fill, what space it needs to fill in those songs. And you're right. Like seeing him play live, he, I mean, it, yeah, he was, it was hard not to notice him as well. Like he was absolutely incredible presence uh, in their live show. The way he plays bass, his instrument has a voice yes. that melds with the rest of the chorus. And it's just, it's unbelievable. But Andy Hall, Andy Hall is easily the highlight of the band. Yeah. He is the principal songwriter. He is the creative engine. The way he sings live he never takes a note off. He goes for every high note. Um, he, if, if there's one, when he was on the simple math tour and they were playing at the beach land, um, he was maybe a little bit precious and he let kind of a slightly drunken Cleveland crowd get to him, <laughs> which would kind of turn me off for a little bit, yeah. but like, you know, it could happen to anybody. Um, but he is just unbelievable. And, uh, I traveled last year. I went to red rocks in Colorado, um, they were playing a co-headlining show with Jimmy World, and I always wanted to go to Red Rocks, and there was no band in the world at that time that I could think of that I would rather see in that setting in, in Red Rocks than Manchester Orchestra. Um, I ponied up big time, and I bought fourth row tickets for me and my friend, uh, my friend and I, and <laughs> uh, and we... I had the greatest time. My friend had an okay time. He's not as big a music fan as okay. I am, but he lives in Colorado. So yeah. I dragged him with me and we just, oh, what a show. What a band. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're, they're just on fire and I hope it never ends. I hope it never ends. So my journey with Manchester Orchestra is when, uh, so when I first heard, um, I don't remember which song it was off of um, Mean Everything to... I always mix up. It's Mean Everything, mean everything to, to Nothing. To nothing. It was either I Got or, Friends or Shake It Out. It was I Got Friends. When I heard that song, I was absolutely blown away. Went out, bought the album, listened Me to too. it nonstop. I was absolutely in love with that album. And I... And to be honest with you, like, had, do you want to know how long ago that was? 
they announced that they were recording that album on MySpace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was a long time ago. And this is what's funny about them, because my love for them at that time feels like an entirely other era. I saw them, them and Cage the Elephant opened for the Toadies, I think. Um, wow. At Newport. Uh, was it the Toadies? Who did they... I cannot even remember who the headliner was anymore, but uh, I saw them open for brand new. Okay, nice. Yeah, but it wasn't brand new. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Toadies, but uh, anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, They were absolutely incredible live, but at that point, like nobody was really there for them. And so it was a, it was a weird dynamic with the crowd. The crowd was very much not into them. I was probably more into it, I think, than most of the people yeah. in the crowd. Um, but anyways, so then they when they put out uh, Simple Math, it was pretty good for me, but it it was a very different album, and I don't think I was ready to move on from that. So, like at that point no. in my life, I wanted them to just keep doing what they were doing. Uh, and then they really lost me with the uh, Cope and Hope. Cope. Uh, that, they lost me there. I totally fell out of that. Those band. records are probably, they're probably better than you remember. I'm sure they are. But, but they were like a record scratch. But they really I, were. So I sort of lost touch with them completely and they were not on my radar. Um, uh, what was after, after those, I'm trying to remember now what album. Well, then it, it was, it went straight into, um, uh, a black model of the surface. Oh, that's yeah. So, so that album, which I now absolutely love, I didn't even listen to it. I, I don't even recall like knowing that it was a thing or or whatever. And so, the, when uh, Million Masks of God came out, and uh, I think you started like really talking pretty highly of it, I went back and listened to it, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" So I fell in love with that album. So I was kind of getting back into them, and uh, I went and saw. Them with you uh here in columbus we saw manchester orchestra and i remember expecting like a half full venue like i just i did not realize how big they had gotten um and then when i saw this show like it was so polished and professional like just a phenomenal live band i was blown away by them and they were just the, the chemistry the between the band, band members however many years ago eons ago yeah and so like i said like i i since went back i absolutely love black mile to the surface now like uh you know i i listened to it a ton since then uh, i'm sort of back in on manchester orchestra they, they they got me back uh hooked again so i don't have many bands where i have that kind of a journey where i'm like really into them completely fall off of them and then come all the way back around on them so well i kind of feel like that was my journey with death cab for cutie as well like they they really did kind of lose me and i've gone back and i've enjoyed um codes and keys and some of yeah. those other records a lot more in hindsight yeah um but it, it took it took a little while and for them they kind of won me back and their live show won me back the other cool thing you know i keep talking about taking my kids to shows so the the 10th anniversary show for mean everything to nothing is one that i i took my younger son to and that was the first time i ever saw foxing foxing yeah. opened up that show and so uh, God, that, Manchester Orchestra is another band, band where 
I'm fo- I'm following the tentacles, right? Yeah. I'm 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 going beyond just that band, and I'm I'm going and I'm listening to the things that they've been involved with and their friends. If Foxy um, could capture, so cool. If they could capture their live show on re- record, they would be yeah. so much higher in my list of bands that I love. Like, you know, their their records don't quite do it for me the same way, but seeing them live unbelievable live band foxing just yeah. unbelievable so yeah, yeah that's that's our list so let's uh let's start talking about some honorable mentions sure. i want to go first on yep, this one um so an ultra ultra personable 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 <laughs> personal honorable mention for me is a local band and i didn't include them because i feel like local bands local bands to you this was a local band to me fill a different gap you know, you can have a, a relationship with a local band that you can't have with one of these national bands. And I, my friends and I, in that same time period where we were in love with Acid Bath and all those other bands, and I was I was in love with Tool at the time as well, but there's a, a band from uh, Western PA, kind of somewhere Western PA near Youngstown called Coin Monster. Mm. And it's a three-piece band, very, very progressive, kind of heavy rock um, some of the most unbelievable musicianship you'll ever find in your entire life. It's unbelievable to me to this day that they didn't kind of make it ginormous. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a couple songs that ended up on TV shows and, and different things. They were on a very small label. They did four or five albums. There was a period of time where I was seeing them at least once a month, if not two or three times a month. And I just, I knew every word, every song. I knew every jump in in time signature i knew every change in every song and i saw them more times than any band i've ever seen in my entire life and it's an entire era i used to when even when i started at boston university i i hate halloween i've always hated halloween since the age of 12 i hated halloween i don't like (laughs) to dress up i don't care about candy none of it matters so when Halloween would roll around at Boston University, I had a car by sophomore year. I would drive 10 hours. I would leave a Friday after classes uh, or Thursday after classes, whenever I was done. I would drive 10 hours home to Cleveland. I would stay with my parents. Then I would drive to Youngstown to see the Coin Monster Halloween show. I would drive home after the show with no sleep at all. I would sleep back in my parents' house. And then on Sunday, I would drive 10 hours back to Boston. But I did that two or three years in a row where I drove 20 plus hours just to be at Coin Monster shows because I would rather be there than than at a Halloween party in Boston. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. But they didn't make, they didn't crack my top five because Coin Monster felt oddly just too, too, too specific. Very esoteric pick. Yeah. Well, this my honorable mention is not esoteric. Um, this was probably my the hardest band for me to leave off my list. I don't know them and Tool. They they're both pretty hard to leave off, but it's Oasis. Um, oh, I, I thought you were gonna say Radiohead. So no, Radiohead is never quite as much as I love Radiohead. They never quite. They never had the belt. Ha- had the belt, but Oasis, man. Um, so. And this is kind of, it's kind of funny because so when, uh, I don't know what year this was, but the when uh, uh, Everclear's Santa Monica was on the radio, I didn't know 
who they were. I kept hearing it on the radio, but the DJ would never say who it was. And one time, I thought that they said it was Oasis Supersonic. That's what, what I But it must have been like the song before it or after it. I don't know. So I was like, oh, that's a... That's... So Wikipedia says December 1995. Okay, yeah. So that's the that timing fits then. So I... Went out and bought Oasis's album, definitely, maybe, thinking I was because I wanted Santa Monica. So, I, you know, I hit play. I go, or I might have even gone straight to Supersonic, and immediately it was clear. I was like, oh crap, like this isn't the song I thought it was, you know? And then, like, the, you know, the intro to Supersonic hits, and then as soon as I felt the pure attitude of liam gallagher's delivery of the vocals on supersonic i was like wait a second though what do we have here you know and uh so definitely maybe to this day one of my absolute favorite albums um i listen to that all the time um i absolutely fell in love with it and uh what's funny is they were not that big at that point yet like not in the states anyways um you know and it wasn't until uh, Wonderwall that they really blew up here. And I think personally, Morning Glory is one of my least favorite Oasis albums. Actually, it, despite it having Wonderwall, which I do like, it's a good, it's a, it's a good song. Uh, Champagne Supernova is incredible. Like, so it's got it's got like the high notes. But Champagne Supernova is one of the best alternative singles from the entire era. Yeah, I mean it's. There's not much you can say about it. It's just amazing. Um, so then they put out Be Here Now, and that was the album that solidified them as one of my all-time favorite bands. And it's funny because most people hate that album. I mean, they were killed for that album when it came out because, again, mind you, this is on the backs of uh, Champagne Supernova, Wonderwall, like People Wanted Morning Glory Part 2. And they put out this album that is just full of like seven minute long songs like six minute songs that could have been three minute songs like this album breathes in such a like expansive way that everybody hates but i love it and i don't know why i can't explain it i can't justify it i can't sit here and tell you it's a universally great album that everybody should listen to but for me it's so personal to me and i love that album and so uh i never jumped so off i have a i have my own I have my own version of that record, by the way. So, like, and I, I, I'm not in love with Arcade Fire. Yeah, but I thought Neon Bible was their best record yes. by a long shot. Yes. and for everybody else, it's not Neon Bible. Correct, but, but man, I, I, I picked the wrong the one. Including everybody else, it's the only Arcade Fire album I liked at all. I dislike the rest of their catalog. So that, but anyways, yeah. So for me, I never jumped off the Oasis train. If to this day, if if the Gallagher brothers who just get over their differences. If they put out a new album, I'd be first in line to pre-order it. Like I am all in on, on, on Oasis and the Gallagher brothers together. Uh, separately, I've listened to their solo stuff. It's fine. They just, their dynamic just works together. When you strip out the, the, the like sophisticated, like uh, the sophisticated, songs that uh noel puts together and then you have this just snotty sneering attitude of liam on top of it it just works in a way that when you strip those two parts away from each other it's just fine so 
Well, and I think I think I saw it's probably Noel Gallagher's band opened up for Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, it was it was once upon a time. It's probably High Flying Birds, most likely. Yeah, and it was really fun to hear those yeah. those Oasis yeah, songs. They'll, they'll, they'll both play Oasis songs live, but yeah. they need to just get over it. Just reunite, my goodness. Make someday the check will be big a enough. Ton they'll of do money, it, but I don't know. Well, and I, I guess, guess one of them went through a divorce, and maybe was there was old. a problem with yeah. So that's what got Guns and Roses back together yeah. when Slash finally got a divorce. That's true. That's true. Uh, he and Axel made up and got that's back true. together. So, so. Yeah. all right. Well, I this was. We went on a long time, but man, yeah. I had a blast. Yeah, this is a, I love going back and forth. Yeah, I love the uh, I like the topic. I like framing it th- with the idea of the belt. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, kudos to Pearl Jam for having the belt for so many years, man. Like, what yeah. a run for that band. So, and and we've never we've never given you guys any instructions from listening uh, to this, but you know we have this out on youtube we've got all the social channels even if you're not going to interact with us there a lot just go follow them give them give them a like try and share this with a friend we're trying to grow this thing we're going to keep doing it even if we only end up with the number of listeners we end up with we talk music nonstop all the time anyway so why not record it's more fun if we could do it together that's right so All right. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next time. It's been the Album of Record podcast. grown-up me too yep me too but you know these days being a grown-up can really suck luckily we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation we had video arcades and also some of the best tv and movies ever made we lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics the list goes on and on yep generation x exactly and we're gen x grown-up every week the gen x grown-up podcast explores media tech toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.